0: Good evening everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, DC, and you're listening to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Joining me today to discuss song number one from the nineteen eighty-nine Three Songs EP is Dennis Buckley, probably best known as the singer of the band Eighty Eight Fingers Louie. Dennis, welcome. How's it going?
1: Good, Ian. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm very well, thanks. Good. Man. I'm glad you could join me today. I, I like. I gotta say off the bat, I admit I can't claim that I'm an '88 Fingers Louie fan from way back. I wasn't really familiar <laughs> with your band, but dude, you are a great singer. I I was just looking oh, up geez, your stuff you. this week. Yeah, uh, really powerful voice, just super well suited to the kind of punk rock that you guys play. So uh, I'm yeah, I'm a new fan.
1: Well, thank you very much. That means a lot.
0: Of course what I always like to do to uh to kick things off is ask my guest about their relationship with Fugazi as a fan or otherwise. Do you remember when you first got into them or uh, or even before then if you were a fan of Minor Threat and etc.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh I guess it would be um freshman year of high school. I'd already uh started skating um the uh Earlier that summer, um, through Thrasher, I started getting into uh, punk rock and hardcore. Um, my brothers, my, my two younger brothers, and I um, all got into skating and punk rock at the same time. And uh, we all kind of took different uh, musical uh, paths uh, after that. I, I stuck with the punk rock and hardcore stuff. Um, my middle brother went, uh, uh, went more into hip hop. And then my youngest brother just went full on metal. Uh, so, uh, I had taken, um, what little I knew about, uh, punk rock at the time started, uh, a very awkward freshman year of high school. And I had, uh, I, I mean, had everyone,
0: everyone's freshman year is pretty awkward, right?
1: Oh, this was, this was uh, every, 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 you know, every voice crack, uh, every, <laughs> every, you know, bully, bully, uh, excuse. Yeah, it was, it was nuts. But, uh, near the start of my freshman year, uh, uh, somebody came up to me. Uh, I think kind of figured out by whatever, you know, Tony Hawk wannabe haircut I had at the time that that maybe I was either that that if I wasn't a punk rocker, I was at least into skateboarding. And so we talked a little bit about that. And uh, you know, he this this guy asked what kind of music I was into, and and I said, you know, I'm just starting to get into it, man. I you know I own a Circle Jerks record and. You know, my brother and I, you know, each <laughs> each half owned one side of uh Nevermind Nabalox. That was kind of like the only punk rock I really knew about at the time. And he gave me a tape. I'll never forget this. He gave me a tape and all it said was side one was out of step. And side two was eye against eye. No, no information about the bands whatsoever. I had no idea. For, uh, probably for the for the first couple of weeks i figured the band was called out of step i had no idea there was a yeah you know uh, a- anything behind it but i i played out of step like it was on uh, both both sides of the tape i played like crazy but um something i identified with with uh with, with with the vocals for sure uh on out of step a lot and then as uh as things progressed that year i i i got you know as much into the old older discord catalog uh as i could in the um near suburban record store near me uh was kind of kind of light on the punk rock but i i got what i could but through the um through thrasher the the uh the discord ads uh in thrasher um i believe i believe I'd, i probably read a little blurb of that that ian had a new band called fugazi Um, didn't know anybody else, um, about anybody else in the band hadn't gotten into, you know, rights of spring or anything like that yet. Um, so I took, I, I, uh, I saw that, uh, Fugazi had put out, uh, the, the first 12 inch and, uh, this would have been, yeah, this would have been 87. Uh, went down, took the train downtown, um, bought it on vinyl. We had a really crappy record player at the time. Um, and, uh, but we made it work, you know, I, my, my brothers and I kind of gathered around like, well, this doesn't sound like minor threat at all. This is, uh, <laughs> and my brother who was into hip hop's like, I think he's rapping. I think, <laughs> he, I, think I think the guy's minor threats kind of rapping. We're like, well, ah. if that was what rap was back then, then yeah, I guess that's what he was doing. But, uh, that was, uh, that was my, my introduction. And so from really from 87 on, it's just been a, a constant, uh, a constant stream of Ian Mackay related bands.
0: Uh it's interesting listening to, you know, people who were into that music back then and their reaction to the first like Fugazi based on you know knowing minor threat already. And yeah, I can right. I can only imagine it sort of uh rocked some people, maybe you know, maybe for the worse in some cases, if they were expecting something else.
1: Yeah, it's 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 uh it's interesting over the years. I've I've definitely had friends who you know kind of started the same musical journey around the same time I did, but they're like, I just couldn't get into Fugazi, man. You know, and it was, it was, you know, it's everybody's personal tastes are different. You know, in a perfect world, I'm sure a lot of people hoped that Ian would just play fast, you know, fast, hardcore for the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that that clearly uh, was not the path that he chose to take.
0: Um, And I was, uh, you know, I was trying to search. Uh, it doesn't look like uh, 88 Fingers Louie ever got to open for Fugazi, right?
1: No, 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 no. We, uh, I don't know that we even, that we even tried. I think I, I just based on the fact that we were playing, basically we were playing minor threat after that minor threat type of music after minor threat. I'm sure Ian probably, if he'd heard the band at all, he's probably be like, well, <laughs> these kids, these kids clearly look clearly like, uh, you know, 1984 hardcore. Maybe they're not suited for, you know, 1993 1994 uh fugazi but right. uh i saw them uh i was uh it's funny i was talking to uh, bob nana um a couple weeks ago and he you know he put me in in, in touch uh with you um and he you know he's talking to me about uh going on and doing uh doing his song for the podcast and we realized that we were at the same our same first fugazi show um was was at medusas in uh in 1990 Oh wow um and I think he may have i think he may have one more Fugazi show under his belt. I think I have nine, and I think he had ten if I'm not mistaken but uh yeah i I saw um, as soon as I was old enough to go see fugazi, I basically uh got to i was fortunate enough to see probably ninety nine percent of the Chicago shows,
0: which is technically everyone's old enough to see fugazi.
1: That's true. That's true. Old enough, old enough, my parents' eyes, I should say.
0: (laughs) Of course, of course. Yeah. I, I just, I remember how excited I was when I was, you know, quote unquote, old enough to start going to shows. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a whole new, whole new world, whole just interesting kind of, uh, community vibe with like all of a sudden. You were just around other people who were listening to the same kind of music you liked and listening to it really loud, and yes, <laughs> yes, just, just that alone was pretty exciting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was funny that that first show uh, uh, at Medusa's with uh, with Trenchmouth opening. I I like to say when when I talk to friends over about Fugazi shows, uh, I like to say that they sounded great at that show, and the reason why I knew they sounded great, um was because uh I was wearing contact lenses back then, and i i was i can 't remember if I had softer or, or or hard lenses, but they were not agreeing with me whatsoever, and I actually got so frustrated uh before leaving to take the train down to the down to see the show that I just yanked them out in like a in a rage <laughs> <I> was like <laughs> these things are going to be bugging me all night, forget it, and I went down there uh with no um prescription lenses whatsoever so i was blind as a bat i i I probably couldn't even squint hard enough to see to make out where ian was on the stage versus where Gee was on the stage or anything like that but they they sounded great so i guess if if i want to get technical the first right. one wasn't until uh wasn't until august of 1991 where i could actually <laughs> see everything <laughs>
0: Well, that's, that's cool that you were at that show. I guess for anyone out there who uh, wants to know the answer to the trivia question, what's the first time that uh, Bob Nana, Dennis Buckley, Ian McKay, and Fred Armisen <laughs> were all in the same room together? <laughs> that was it, man. <laughs> I wonder okay. if it's happened since then.
1: <laughs> uh, I believe it has. Really? <laughs> that even, minus, minus Ian McKay. Uh, I, I was thinking about this a couple days ago. Uh, Bob and I were at a show at the fireside bowl, um, and Fred's girlfriend at the time, I don't remember her name and I don't remember the band that she played in. Uh, she was playing the fireside that night. And, uh, you know, I, I, I knew, I knew of Fred and I, cause I knew of, of, um, Trenchmouth, but I didn't, uh, I had, had been introduced to, to that band. Um, so I just, I think, I think it was just pointed out that like, Oh, that's the drummer for Trenchmouth. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as if as if he was going to go out to do nothing but drumming yeah. in Trenchmouth.
0: I'm sure he never gets introduced that way anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no,
0: no. Well, uh, cool. So today we're here to talk about song number one, and true to its name, this is one of the very first Fugazi songs. Uh, it's one of the songs played at uh, Fugazi's very first show. In fact, September third, nineteen eighty-seven. And the, I mean, technically it's the first one with words. It's kind of weird. I don't know if you've listened to that show, but, um, they kind of, they open with Joe number one, but mm-hmm. then after they play that, there's sort of this intro by Mark Anderson and somebody else. And then, uh, Ian says some words and then they play this song. So it, it's, it almost feels like Joe number one was their sound check. And, uh, <laughs> and this was like the first song. Number one was the first song they played proper. Um, Yeah, and uh, I I, I just wanted to note about that. The the next song after that on the set list is Furniture. So they kind of start off with two songs that both start with statements about the song themselves, right?
1: Yeah. Song number
0: one is not a fucky song. This is a song with no words. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if people were thinking like, are they going to sort of make a comment about each of the songs in the first line of the song for for every song (laughs) that they play? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's, that's the historical background of song number one. And, uh, other than that, I like to pass it to my guests. What's the first thing you want to talk about when it comes to this little jam?
1: Um, I could say that, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite Fugazi songs. So I'm, I'm I was stoked to get a chance to, uh, to, to talk about it. Uh, cause I know that the, the songs were dwindling down, um, when, when we first, uh, got in touch, but uh, I remember Fugazi is one of several bands that I can pinpoint exact memories to, which which you know, thankfully I'm not super obsessive with a lot of other bands, but Fugazi is definitely one of them where there are certain songs, song number one being one of them, where I know exactly what I was doing at the time and how, how the, the reaction I had when I heard it. Um, so Repeater had uh i think i'd already bought repeater um and i was down repeater was the only fugazi record until no i take that back fugazi and, or repeater and steady diet of nothing were the only fugazi records that i had on cassette mm-hmm. um uh Mar- Margin walker um and the the first um ep i had on vinyl um and i had uh so so subsequently, um, sorry, I got a repeater at cassette, probably locally. And then I took the train down again, same place. I got the, uh, the first two 12 inches, uh, and I grabbed the, um, Fugazi seven inch and, uh, the three stock seven inch. And uh, I remember that we didn't have a, a really good, um, spindle on our, this really shitty Fisher, um, fish Fisher uh, stereo that we had in our in our basement mm-hmm. so the first couple of times i remember playing the seven inch it was kind of warped because the uh the vinyl wasn't wasn't steady enough on the record player so uh my 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 first time hearing it was like oh there's something wrong with this recording like not thinking <laughs> not think it was the record player whatsoever but um i remembered i remembered them yelling fuck you song at that at that first Fugazi show I was at, uh, the the one in 1990, I remember them yelling that part out. So that immediately stuck out. Um, but for me, as much as I love Repeater, and I do, I love Repeater tons and tons and tons, there were definitely signs on Repeater of, you know, Fugazi's experimentation, for lack of a better word, where mm-hmm. they weren't going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be a direct song. They were, they were going to take tangents here and there. There was going to be, you know, some dubbed out stuff here and some, you know, extra percussion here. And, um, but, but song number one, hearing that was like, in my head, I I just thought it was a brand new song. I didn't understand that it was maybe, you know, until the demo, I didn't really see that it was one of the first songs of the kid. So I was immediately like, Oh, this is kind of like them being a punk rock band again. Um, so I, I, I appreciated it, appreciated that, uh, Initially for just that reason. Um, and I really for, for quite a while, uh I would only play that song. I wouldn't flip the forty five around to play uh Joe Joe's uh, song and breaking. I wouldn't not that I had anything against him. I was just so into song number one that I was like, okay, if I wanna if I'm down in the basement and we're playing vinyl, I'm gonna play and then, you know, move on to something else. But uh that song for me over the years, seeing that seeing that song played live, uh I loved how while it wasn't getting the reaction of, like, you know, waiting room or something like that, uh, the live reaction to for, for when that song played was always awesome. It was always great to feel like everyone's, you know, everyone's jumping and having a good time, uh, at the same time.
0: I think that's one of the, um, one of the nice points about the slowdown that happened in between mm-hmm. Minor threat and Fugazi is like, you know, you're playing that, um, breakneck pace hardcore, you can't really dance, like, of course you know people dancing to hardcore is like sort of you know a lot of thrashing around throwing fists and stuff but yeah, like right, slow right. it down a little and all of a sudden the entire crowd can sort of do the same thing at the same time jump at the yes. same on the same beat and that definitely is the kind of thing that happens in song number 1 when you see it live oh
1: yeah 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 it was it was great i i love seeing uh i love going on on youtube rabbit holes and i'll 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 just start going through and I'll look at you know pick pick a year and i'll be like i'll do a youtube search for fugazi fugazi live 1988 so i'll get as much you know as much as i can out of that right um i don't remember what the show is it's, i i believe it's probably known as a, one of their more famous shows as far as uh documentation goes but it was that show they did i want to say i don't think it was in the gymnasium but it was a show that they played maybe in Pennsylvania um, it's like the best w- version of waiting room that I've, live that I've ever heard And the entire crowd. Not one person in that crowd, uh, was not bouncing when waiting room came out. Like right. the, 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 sheer mass of people dancing in unison is like still to this day. I watched that thing probably 500 times and, and I'm blown away by how communal re- reminded again about how communal those Fugazi shows were.
0: Yeah, definitely you might be are you thinking of maybe the Wilson Center one? That was that's a pretty, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, that was it. The nice. Wilson Center one.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty pretty classic uh show. Good YouTube car. Yeah. I'll I'll put that in the show notes in case anybody hasn't seen it. I imagine anyone listening to this podcast probably has watched that at some point, but it's a really good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, and and seeing yeah, seeing them do uh have a similar reaction to, you know, when, when they played song one. It was like, all right, this is this is this is this is the the uh, like waiting room. This is the song where people are yelling out the lyrics, like you know certain parts of the song are louder than others. Obviously, "fuck you" song gets a that part of the song gets a big uh, a big yell. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So,
0: and something that occurred to me is I like how so that the the entire line of course song number one is not a "fuck you" song, and <laughs> it's it's funny how. Ian sort of has his cake and eats it too, because he says that, but he also gets to say, fuck you in the first line of the song and like, and have the entire audience scream along. Um, So that's, that's kind of funny to me how that works. And like, yeah, absolutely. Everybody sings along with that.
1: Well, I thought, I always thought it was funny too, that he says song number one is not a fuck you song. And then he immediately says, I'll save that thought for later on. I'm like, you you didn't save anything. You said fuck you. <laughs> there was no you, saving. <laughs> you already said it, man. Yeah. No take backs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, that's, it's a funny concept to be like, you know what? Later on, I'm going to say fuck you, but I'm not saying it right now.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Just you wait. It's coming. Uh,
0: of course, the funny thing is, it kind of is a fuck you song, in my opinion. Like, yeah. at, at least... Uh, giving the middle finger to certain ways of thinking and certain kinds oh, yeah. of people, um. I but I guess more than that, it's it's like an advice song, you know. It's just sort of like here's a little bit of wisdom from Ian MacKay based on what he's learned uh, about being a punk rocker for several yeah. years now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's one of the ultimate thing for yourself songs. Yeah, you know you've got your your people are giving you shit for your haircut, then grow it out longer. You know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I there are a couple of things that maybe I wanted to ask you <clears throat> because you know when you you first started playing in your band, I guess I was probably in elementary school at that point. So you uh-huh. were around maybe back in the day, maybe a little bit in the in the sort of skinhead years, or that might have predated you. But
1: uh, I I caught the, uh I do not say tail end. I guess I guess the first couple of years I was actively going to shows. You 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 were seeing skinheads.
0: Yeah, I I always assumed that that line, fighting for a haircut, I say grow your hair, is sort yeah. of about the skinhead movement. Do you think the same thing?
1: I don't know that I've thought about it that way, but but as 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 you brought it up, I thought well, especially back then with the amount of uh, the amount of shit that 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 was getting started at shows. Um, I could I could see Ian's point of like you know, hey, you want to stand out from. From these knuckleheads that are starting shit at shows, then you know, grow, grow that damn hair out. Grow, grow, grow it, grow it like Henry Rollins did.
0: Yeah, um, and, and like Ian did. I mean, it, yeah, it bears mentioning that at these first couple of Fugazi shows, he had this long hair that we are not used to seeing on him. Right?
1: It was it was long and it was curly. He he had like a he had like a big old curly thing going on for a little bit. It was yeah. it was certainly it was it was weird to see it for that. Put it this way. I was the, 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 the very few Fugazi promo pictures I saw very early on, everybody had shaved heads. You could tell they were going on their, they're going on their tour for, you know, eight or nine weeks. And they're like, we're not, there's no time for a haircut. Let's just shave our heads and it'll grow back by the, by the end of the tour. So you would see all these pictures with them with completely shaved heads. And then, uh, uh, then you'd see, you know, footage from very early shows where they're like, Oh, wait, no. Not only do they have hair, but it's, it's quite long.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if, I don't think there are any um, pictures from the first show that I've really seen, but I think a good example is if you go to the Fugazi Live series, their third show on uh, September 27th, 1987, there's a really good picture of, of like kind of a close up of Ian and exactly how he looked with his uh, sort of like reddish, curly, uh, long hair. Looks, yeah. looks pretty. Looks pretty sweet, actually.
1: <laughs> it does, it does. And I, I, I was just thinking too. The, uh, oh god, what was the name of his first band? The, uh, the Teen Idols. Teen Idols. I think his hair was, was yeah, the Teen. I think I think his his hair was longer then. Yeah. I think he. Sh- I think he started shaving it when Minor Threat started.
0: Yeah, that I could be you know I'm not a scholar on the the hair of Ian Mackay, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there are there are some people out there who can speak pretty authoritatively on that. Um, you
1: could follow me at yeah. ianmackayshair dot for more fun well, facts.
0: But I'm I'm just looking now uh, and and seeing in, in the scope of things. I'm now looking at uh, the live series pictures for November twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven, and by that point, he had shaved his head. Again, I don't know if he ever had long hair after that. So, uh, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, on this show at, so far, I think I've said fuck more times and talked about Ian's hair more than I ever have in the course of this podcast. So we're off to a really great start. Oh, good, good. <laughs> um, and on, another thing, you know, speaking of the the quote unquote scene back then, I mean, there are a few things, a few references in this song that I think might be sort of specifically dated. Because, uh, you know, right after the grow your hair thing, there's crying for the music, which I always wondered if, you know, I I had heard people about people in the early emo days, you know, crying at shows, um, mm-hmm. e- either, you know, singers in emo bands, but also maybe people in the audience. And I don't I don't know how, you know, if that's an overblown thing or if it was really kind of a frequent occurrence in those early days. But I, I always wondered if that was a reference uh, to that also.
1: That's, that, that's a very good point, too. Certainly, uh, I think by the, time, uh, by the time that 7-inch, well, yeah, certainly by the time that 7-inch came out, the stories were circulating about, uh, I, would hear, I would hear these stories about rights of Spring and how at shows, Guy would get so into it that he'd actually be crying while he was on stage. Hmm. And I think there was, they pointed to a specific rights of Spring song, and I'm, and I'm I'm blanking on the name, but it was like, oh yeah, if you were at that show, um, you you saw him getting so uh, so drawn into the music that maybe it was like one of their last shows. Like maybe they knew they were breaking up, uh, that he, yeah, over overcome with emotion. And you know, personally speaking, to a uh, to what then, sixteen, seventeen year old kid, the idea that you that you're going to cry on stage, like I, I'll fully admit that 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 was something that I couldn't even uh I, I couldn't even uh comprehend like who who's going to be that sad on stage if they're going to cry this is this is punk rock man you know that's that, that was that was my 16 17 year old attitude for sure
0: yeah yeah and if it is about that you know i i i don't think this is like a reference to gee but maybe like sort of people who are aping what Gee was doing and, and sort of like well, mm-hmm. well Gee got sort of emotionally worked up at this show so I'm going to go to the emo show and cry like I, I would imagine it's more of a dig at that, those kind of people it's like well I doubt you yeah. really care I think you're just sort of trying to trying to put on a look
1: oh yeah for sure you're posing yeah yeah.
0: Um, and so not only that but there's sort of a reference to the, the punk rock zines right uh huh everybody's talking about their hometown scene and hurting people's feelings in their magazines. And a phrase that I've heard thrown around a lot about those days is quote mean zine. Like there are just a lot of snarky people writing about punk rock and, and being yep. shitty to other people.
1: I, I looked at that line specifically. That was, that was the, the uh besides the, obviously the first lyric, uh, that's the line of the song that stuck out to me the most. Um, And I, and, and, I always understood it as them kind of uh taking a dig back at maximum rock and roll who initially championed them and then by the time by the time repeater um had come come out, i think there was uh i think the very same people that were holding Fugazi up were kind of trying to tear him down because you know they were bringing in they 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 made the ultimate sin of uh of of playing music that actually drew more than you know more than 75 people to a show by mm-hmm. this, by the, by this point, And Bob talked about it at, uh, on his, uh, on his podcast, certainly in Chicago, by the time, um, 1991 rolled around, you, you know, they had to play theaters because there was no way, a uh, you know, a rundown bar, like, you know, club dreamers was an old bar here in Chicago. Uh, there was no way they were going to fit nearly that many people, um, into a Fugazi show at, 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 at a smaller club. So I think uh, I, I, I was, I always thought it was back from rock and roll kind of giving him shit for being, for becoming popular and Ian being like, all right, man, thanks for nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And of course it's a theme that comes back in returning the screw for one, just sort mm-hmm. of Ian commenting on, you know, people saying shitty things in, in the alternative press and, and otherwise like yep, putting, yep. putting nasty things on album covers, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and I I think the line is interesting. Everybody's talking about their hometown scene, of course, because I mean, Ian believed in the the hometown scene and, and championing it. That's the kind of the idea behind Discord, right? And how they always, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with one or two small exceptions, always only put out DC bands on the label. Um, yeah. So it's not a it's not that's not a thing that he looks down on, or at least maybe it's the kind of thing where i feel like a lot of times in in his life ian has sort of started something or thrown an idea out there and sort of later became disgusted at what people had turned it into
1: oh sure <laughs> straight, so straight, straight straight edge certainly being the uh, the big culprit
0: yeah yeah so maybe it's a commentary on that it's like yeah it's it's yeah. cool to be proud of you know people that are coming up in in your local scene and like lifting them up but Let's let's not you know be East Coast West. Coast. Let's I guess that's sort of an anachronistic reference to make, but uh, yeah, let's, no. let's let's not be t- too tribal about it and be uh you know be going at each other over just like what city you live in.
1: Right, right. And something something I always thought was really cool about Fukazi shows, at least in Chicago. I got to believe this was this was uh, worldwide too. Is uh, getting back to the line about hometown scenes, they always made sure. Um, to have local openers, local support on their shows. So, you know, uh, certainly in Chicago, we were, you know, we were uh, fortunate enough to get a Fugazi shellac bill. We got Fugazi, uh, Fugazi and Tar played shows together. Um, You know, there were, there were uh, definitely, definitely a, uh, an active uh, wish on Ian's part was to, or the guys part I should say uh, that's the band itself uh, is to get at least local support um, at least one local band on on each show and yeah. you know I, got, I gotta I got believe those guys were doing their homework too like they're not just relying on a promoter to throw a band out there they probably they probably did some of their own research themselves
0: yeah it just occurs to me now that I don't think I ever looked into it but I'm like did they ever tour with another band um, I, I don't think I'm aware of that ever happening
1: I I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah.
0: I wonder yeah. I wonder if it's partly like yeah, partly they want to support the the local scene. Maybe partly just simpler not to do that and just sort of like let all right, let's set up a show in a certain place, tell the venue yeah. like, you know, pre, you know, get some opening bands and we don't have to like run this by anybody else and make sure it aligns with their lives and their schedules, so Um, right i think i feel like uh, there's a lot of stuff that fugazi would do that's like both principled but also conveniently is like just sort of the simpler way to do things which is (laughs) i think which which plays into the lyrics of this song actually
1: yeah i think so too
0: yeah don't get tangled up trying to be free just sort of do the simple thing
1: right right don't worry about what other people have to say yeah
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, I, I like how the song comes around to that because yeah, it, it's interesting. It starts off with that first line, but then the song seems like overall to have sort of a negative tenor for, yeah. you know, you know three quarters of it, but then it comes around to in the end to being actually a pretty positive song with that final <laughs> stanza, right? Life is what you yeah. want it to be, so don't get tangled up trying to be free. Don't worry what the other people see. It's nothing. And like that that refrain it's nothing is sort of yeah seems like a negation of something uh in in the first you know several stanzas but in the end it's like yeah the, the real thing that's nothing is what other people are concerned about and their opinions so just like you know just you be you and yeah i yeah it turns out to be a super positive song
1: yeah, it's so 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 angry at first that it's like by the end it's almost like ian saying Hey, look! Two minutes ago, I was really angry. I'm too, I'm too, I'm, I'm too tired to be angry now. So, <laughs> do whatever the hell you guys want.
0: Yeah, I. There are certain Fugazi lines that just sort of rattle around in my head, you know, and have over the course of all the decades of my life. And I think "Don't get tangled up trying to be free" is one of those. Like, that's yeah. that's a good nugget of wisdom to take with you because I think absolutely there's so many like not only not only pertaining to being concerned about other people's opinions but man i mean, I mean just think about like there, there are people who just sort of i don't know i think of the stereotype of the like a person who owns like a whole bookshelf of self-help books and it's like <laughs> this all this stuff you're doing seems to be actually weighing you down or um right there's i don't know the um the minimalism movement like the modern minimalism movement is really interesting to me like that's an example of uh something that 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 aesthetic resonates with me and they're sort of like message boards devoted to it. And sometimes you like see people on there really struggling with it. And like, they're like, I want to be a minimalist, but it's like, you can tell it's stressing them out and just giving them a lot of anxiety over like, I feel like I have too much stuff. How can I yeah. like, further minimize my life? And at some point you're like, man, I think you're a little bit missing the point here. This is causing you <laughs> mental distress. Um, maybe you are following getting, this path too far.
1: You're having maximum stress over something minimal. Yeah, you're, yeah. So you're right. like it's like
0: totally getting tangled up trying to free yourself of earthly obligations. And yeah, yeah. I th- like it's just one example of where I, you know, the, a thing that I overlay that lyric onto in my life.
1: I, and I think about talking about minimalists like they're 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 touring uh as crazy as as their touring was over over the thirty years they were so minimalist about how they toured you know they 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 weren't buying high tech you know, they weren't buying like the 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 you know the best quality amps you know they were they were they, obviously they were beating the shit out of their guitars they were uh but you know they they traveled with what a sound man that was, you know and maybe maybe a driver
0: yeah, I, you know. I I don't know. I think Ian actually did most of the driving from what I've heard, but
1: they yeah. you know, they definitely
0: had, you know, maybe a, maybe a roadie uh slash right. slash uh tech of some kinds. You know, I know I think Jerry Busher started off as like you know, just sort of doing roadieing and doing work on their amps when they would like melt down and stuff like that.
1: Right, right. So they're they're so they're they're, they're touring for I believe the rest of the the the, the entirety of their uh existence was you know, six people in a van that maybe a <laughs> six people in a van that probably fit exactly six. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were, they were, they weren't traveling in a, in a, you know, 15 seat passenger van Yeah. at all. They were, they were, they were keeping it as, uh, yeah, really as, they were keeping it as minimalist as they could.
0: Yeah. Did you, do you do a lot of, uh, touring? You have thoughts on that versus sort of like the way you did things?
1: Um, uh, well we don't, uh, we're, the band's out of break now, and, and um, we uh, we've, we we we've, we've did a lot of van tours um, in the in the mid '90s when we were kind of torn the most. Um, and uh, I had some of some of my best times and some of my absolute worst times <laughs> touring in a van. So there's there's uh, there's certainly a nostalgic uh, point to that, where where I think about. Uh, van life and you know lessons learned on that, but um the idea that those guys, the 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 love that those guys had for each other, to be able to put up with each other for those extended periods of times. I mean, they were going on tour. I was looking at at at, at tour dates. They were they were probably on tour for two hundred out of the at least two hundred days out of the year. Yeah, in 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 their heyday, and I and and those tours weren't being broken up. It's not like they would go home in a lot of cases. I'm sure it wasn't all, but in a lot of cases, you know, they would do like the spring and summer tour that would have them out for six, seven, eight weeks. They'd be home for 72 hours at the most. And then to be back on the road for another six to seven weeks. Yeah. And I keep thinking like, like, and I, and I put myself out there first and foremost, I could be such a whiny little baby. If I was, (laughs) in the van too much. I was definitely the guy that, that, that complained. I was the guy that, that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, would argue that I didn't want to go to this place for lunch or, or, you know, I didn't want to stop here. We should stop, you know, not stop right now. Let's stop in five minutes. Like it, like it was going to matter. Like it was being in a van with me certainly was (laughs) not, not, not anybody's idea of a good time. Uh, But the fact that Fugazi was able to do it uh, for as long as they did for the extended um, amount of time they did is that, that that's always blown me away too. Cause that's talk about living in closed quarters. That was, uh, you know, you learn, you learn a lot about the guys that you're with certainly in, in, in tours like that.
0: Yeah. There's so many, like little miraculous things about Fugazi and so that's definitely one of them that they their interpersonal dynamics were such that there was never any at least public band drama where no. you know, like somebody would like ah, I'm fed up and walk off the stage and like throw his guitar down and you know right. like uh and of course maybe that is the root of why uh, all the other stuff that seems miraculous worked out as like th- that's the bedrock that had to be laid down so they could do what they did and have the kind of career they did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I forget how we got off on that on that tangent, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it was a beautiful yeah. tangent. Yeah, don't get tangled up trying to be free, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. the The episode that came out today, as we are recording this, uh, the um, I, I think it was Clayson Finale who is just telling the story, they had this, like, little tiny clothes dryer that they they brought out of their van. And, like, you know, before the show, they just did their laundry there. They got, yeah. you know, mostly dry in that dryer. And then they had clean clothes ready to go. And then they played the show and, you know, did their thing.
1: Pretty econo, as as uh, <laughs> as Mr. Mike Watt likes to put it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. How do I get Mike Watt on this podcast?
1: That's a man that's got some stories for sure.
0: Something else uh, that... You know, I think you touched on, but um, not only, of course, was the crowd singing along with some of these lines, but it was, you know, this was one of the famous early songs where Gee was doing his thing and like doing the role of of as as many have commented on, Flavor Flav, and <laughs> sort of yeah, yeah, <laughs> emphasizing certain like parts of Ian Mackay's lines and. Yeah. That, that is certainly something that happens in this song and makes some of the lyrics a little more memorable. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and, you know, sort of started off doing that, I think, in the later years, if you listen to live uh, examples of this, he was just really throwing in some nice vocal improv uh, yep. as they played it. And so that, it, it was a nice, it's a nice song for him to just sort of go off on and do his thing. For sure. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, there's... That there's sort of like breakdown in this song musically uh where there's a nice chance for them to do instrumental improv too, and oh so yeah, it's like it's not one of the ones that they're really known for jamming out extensively um but but there are some interesting things that came up now and then for people who listen to a few of the live versions
1: oh yeah yeah and i i, I loved how um especially with the guitars i I love the the improv that they uh, that they were incorporating. They were improvising more and more as, as the years went on. I think by the time, by the time I saw what I thought was their last Chicago show in 2001, um, you know, they, they were, uh, and, and I was fully on board with this. This is, you know, any, any hesitation about Fugazi, you know, not being, uh, direct enough. I, I, I had, by this point, I had completely thrown that opinion out the window. Um, but these later shows they would you know they they let joe lally go off on an extended dub break you know he got to you know he got to carry on another you know extra minute and a half just you know just on bass alone and and and, and brendan's got the percussion that guy did i mean <laughs> it was crazy enough seeing him play with the bell uh play, play the bell in those those very very early fugazi shows but the fact that they they let him get you know uh Extra, extra fancy, for lack of a better word, uh, as those tours went on. Uh, I just thought they were great. Some, someone, I've been hesitant to say this. I was gonna, I, I was actually telling myself before uh, before we connected today, I'm like, don't bring up Fugazi and the Grateful Dead. Don't bring up Fugazi and the Grateful Dead.
0: <laughs> it's but it's you, been done earlier. Somebody else on the podcast has definitely okay,
1: done it. Okay, okay. I and I'm not what you call a Grateful Dead fan. I, I enjoy a song or two. I don't hate them with the with the with the with the passion that a lot of my friends do. Um, but I don't, you know, certainly wouldn't call myself a deadhead, but there's, yeah, there's some parallels between, uh, you know, the way F- the Grateful Dead documented their, so- their shows and how Fugazi documented their shows. And yes, I'm, I'm not ca- sitting there ca- trying to call Fugazi a jam band, but there were points and songs later on in, in their career where, uh, where they, yeah, they extended ston- st- songs out And I can't think. I honestly, I can't think of a single song that they stretched out that they didn't stretch out for the better. Anything they stretched out, they did it with a purpose. It wasn't like, oh, I got to, you know, his guitar's out of tune, so uh, I'm just going to noodle around before, you know, until he's back, uh, back up and running. They were, yeah, they they did it with purpose, which I always thought was really good.
0: Yeah, they were really good at um, just making sure, like keeping in mind overall, like this is a this is sort of like punk rock and we're going to keep it tight. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about this w- which like I I may I may have commented on this before but I'm yeah, I I also don't hate the grateful dead or fish, which is the other thing that comes to mind, but I also oh, yeah. could was never able to to get into them. And I think the reason is ultimately is like I mean, I can I can really uh get into jazz and sure. and and listen listen to like because that is that gets very actually interesting to me yes and like yes. The, the places that they can go in jazz truly interesting harmonically just like unexpected um and that's cool and it's also cool if you're a rock band and you play like tight short three minute songs but i think where you lose me is if you're kind of in the middle and you're like a band that sort of starts with from a baseline of a simple song and then you go on this, these long improvisations that don't actually get as interesting as like a jazz song would like that right. middle, that middle ground is where you lose me. And yes, yes. <laughs> and, and, and Fugazi never went that far. Like they, they, no, they kept no. their improvisation to like stuff that could keep my attention, which I like. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And, and of course I, I did want to mention how, and that, that breakdown part starts off with some of those Signature, especially in early Fugazi songs, those signature moments of silence, like da 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 and then there's no music for a couple of seconds, and uh-huh. we just have to, you know, see how the audience responds. <laughs> and yeah, that that yielded some, like, just some nice live show moments.
1: Those those moments, yeah, definitely great live show moments. But what I, what I loved about those, and it was always gi- it was always gi- that was the first vocal you would hear when they would come in after the little silence. You'd hear him, even if he was just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would go into like they do in song one. Right. Uh, I believe he's just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they go uh, right in. He's done that in a few other songs too, where, where it's building up and then there's silence. And then uh, that, 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 that build up once they, once they bring it all back and everyone's back in the, uh, Back in the pocket, for lack of a better word. Um, I always love that it's him, and it's it goes back to the the flavor flavor, you know, slash cheerleader, whatever hype man role that he's playing. It's like, all right, it's time to <laughs> quite quite time's over. It's time to uh, <laughs> it's time to wake up.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a good observation. I like that. Yeah, um, and, and I think I, it has to be said, it's a lot of those early Fugazi songs seem just like tailor made for playing live that's that's just what is on their mind 100% they're thinking about that much more than they're thinking of uh, making a record and you know that's that's sort of why the records turned out as good as they did I guess
1: Yeah, i I never uh, and if I did I'm forgetting it but did Fugazi it, it, it seems to me with the amount of touring that they did it seems to me that a lot of songs were probably written live were probably written maybe in between um, sound checks or whatever, because they were on tour for so, for so long. Like they weren't, they're writing, like you said, they're writing songs to be played live. And I'm almost wondering if they were writing those songs on a lot of those songs on tour as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So something that they, they had said is they always had a lot of what they called link tracks and Mm -hmm. these would be just sort of musical ideas that they had come up with, and sometimes they would, you know, bring them out live and try them in different ways and and see if they could make them into anything, and a lot of those would actually go on to become full Fugazi songs that they would, like, flesh out uh, during practices. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, kind of.
1: Yeah, so so they they at least have a germ of an idea while they're on tour, they commit to, sure.
0: Um. Cool. Well, might be time to talk about ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? In every episode of this show, I like to ask my guest if you would care to rate this song on a scale of one to five stars, but only in the context of the Fugazi catalog. Uh, If you can imagine a world where there are Fugazi songs that get one star as well as Fugazi Uh songs that get five stars, where does this fall on that continuum for you?
1: Wow. As much as I love and I appreciate the value of rating songs, whenever I commit to doing something like this, I immediately think, oh no, I should have gone, you know, <laughs> yeah. lower or higher. But I I will say for for the purposes of, of, of our interview, uh one to five. Is that what we're doing? One to five or one to four?
0: One to five, baby.
1: One one to five, baby. All right. I'm gonna give this a solid four. And the reason why I'm not going higher is because, um, is because that, that to me sounds like a very young Fugazi. Yeah. That's, that's an example of a very young Fugazi. Whereas, um, had they, had they tried to write that? Not, the, I'm not saying they wouldn't have been able to write something like that, uh, in 2001. But they probably wouldn't have wanted to write something like that in two thousand and
0: one. Yeah, definitely. Uh,
1: I feel like uh, it, 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 it's solid for that. Maybe <laughs> I'm going <gonna, laughs> to catch some shit for saying this, and I'll probably regret it as soon as <laughs> as soon as we're off the call. But uh, I believe this song would have benefited from a little bit more experimentation, for lack of a better word. I feel like I feel like the part that that stop start part where they where they kind of went off um instrumentally i feel like they could have upped that a little bit
0: yeah i yeah and i think of course that's something they played with as they went on you know i think for fugazi a song is a growing thing definitely
1: oh sure definitely um, but, i th- but yeah to, I, I would the, say
0: that's that's to me that's a totally fair uh, evaluation of of this as a recorded song you know as it is on yes. a, on the three songs thing, I was going to, I was going to say something similar, like in terms of their early songs, like that's a good way to think of it. And like, in terms of where, where I think their best songs are and just looking at what they played at that first show. Uh, right. You know, I, I don't think this is as good of a song as furniture or waiting room, but I think right. it's, it's better than, you know, turn off your guns in defense of humans, the word. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's, uh it, Occupies the middle of the pack as far as those early songs go. And yeah, accordingly, Uh I think I'm going to go with like a a three and three quarters for this one. It's uh, yeah, uh, definitely a good one, though. For sure. Um, I do want to give a voice to a few of our friends on social media on the Alphabetical Fugazi Facebook page uh, just to see what they say. Ottavio Jani says, My first exposure to Fugazi was through the Three Songs EP, so this was literally song number one for me. I think of it as a blueprint before there was a blueprint. All the elements that make Fugazi great are there the anthemic sound, Guy doing his flavor flavor thing to excellent effect, Ian staking out a moral position in his lyrics, and inspiration from other musical genres. On the repeater episode, you and your guest mentioned how some of the drumming reminded you of Go Go, and I hear the same on live versions of this song when they stretch out the instrumental bit in the middle to a sort of dub-slash-go-go-jam. Definitely. And Tom Goebel says, I recall Ian explaining in an interview recently that his lyrics to this were a response to people he felt had a cynical-slash-nihilistic attitude to life. He summarized himself by explaining that, if he, that he felt that if life is meaningless, why would you want your experience of it to be negative? It's such a joyous response to a frightening and depressing concept. Dallin McDougall says, For some reason I've always thought of this waiting room and furniture as companion songs or cut from the same cloth, but this is my favorite of the three. I love the message, and it's pretty damn danceable, especially if, like me, your dance moves consist mainly of nodding your head up and down. This song may actually get me to rock back and forth a little bit as well, and that's saying a lot. And uh, finally, Bradford Goodwin says, First Fugazi song I ever heard, and it really did a number on me. My first two thoughts were, One, Whoa, I'm dancing? Question mark. And two, saving your fuck yous for a rainy day is the punkest thing ever. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Um, that is awesome.
0: Have you ever uh, done a, a Fugazi cover? And if so, would would you want it to be this one? What, what what would your favorites? What would be your choice if you had to cover a Fugazi song?
1: Oh, if I had to cover a Fugazi song, uh, and I say this with no. Uh, Absolutely no talent on the guitar whatsoever. I, I struggle to play even even three chords. Um, I would say Reclamation if I could play that song, just because just because I, I just just for anything to do to to, to do the uh, the second course. So we will do what we must must must, and then go right go right in. I would I would play that song just for that part. Um, but I just think in general that's that's a that's probably my fi- my favorite fugazi song um
0: yeah nice choice uh, i i I, I've,
1: I say that but i've i've played <laughs> so there was a uh there was in chicago there was a band that they um they were considered a live band karaoke band uh live karaoke band sorry um uh, and they were they were uh all, all punk rock guys it wasn't like it was you know some, some, some weird bar people getting, you know, just getting hip to Fugazi. They, they, they definitely did their homework. Um, and they used to, they used to do, uh, waiting room. So, uh, I think this probably was around 2000, sorry, 2001, 2002. Um, when they were, when they were first starting out, uh, there'd be a line to like, uh, to, you know, to pick songs. And I was, uh, I was fortunate one time to, uh, to pick a waiting room. So I did waiting room with them. Um and that was fun. I uh and then I also one of the guys from uh from eighty eight fingers uh the our guitar player was actually in a minor threat uh cover band, tribute band, whatever you want to call it. they they were calling themselves major threat. And they were doing uh they were doing primarily minor threat songs, but they would they would uh they do Fugazi here and there as well and and, uh and Dag Nasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did, they did Waiting Room. And the first time I did Waiting Room, I just did all of Ian's parts. And when I did uh, Waiting Room with, uh, with Major Threat, one show I did the, uh, the parts. And that was, I'll, I'll, I'll say that was probably more fun to do than Ian's parts. Because
0: <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah.
1: I think with Ian's parts, you like, you just don't want to fuck up. Right. Like, like, like Ian, this is, this is Ian's baby. You know, you do, you do not want to fuck this song up. Whereas with with doing Geese parts, I mean, uh, I'm not saying his, his his contributions to that song are silly, but they're a lot more playful than than Ian's parts. So yeah. that itself is 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 more fun to do, I think, in a live setting.
0: Right on. Well, speaking of live settings, uh, I know you you said you're uh, you're on hiatus uh, as far as Eighty Eight Fingers Louie goes, but uh, no. let me let you do some plugs. Never anything you want to say about where listeners can reach you? Do you have any projects coming up uh, you want to promote? Uh, Just, you know, whatever you want.
1: I have nothing to promote. I have, and and I, and I say this with, with the highest level of relief possible. I've, I've, (laughs) i am usually, I'm usually, if if, if, if I'm not doing 88, I'm, I'm working on one thing or another kind of simultaneously. And I'm terrible with time management. And if, if COVID, if, 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 this this pandemic's taught me anything. It's uh, it's to in, in, enjoy enjoy my free time. Enjoy time to like think about doing things and, and and getting to those things when you're comfortable getting to them. And 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 for me, one of that is uh, one aspect of that is uh, is music. I'll I'll we're, the the band itself is, is taking a break probably for the next year or so, um, but. Uh, There'll come a time where I'll 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 get the music bug again and, and probably work on something different with uh with a different group of fellas. But uh I'm I'm kind of excited to not have to, you know, do that tomorrow or even, you know, next year if I if I don't want to. I'm enjoying my free time, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Here, here. Enjoy it, man. Yeah take take some you time. Don't get tangled exactly. up trying to be free, you know?
1: That's right, man. Don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry about the, what the other people say. It's
0: nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks Dennis. Uh, uh I guess for my plug today, I'll give a periodic reminder that this is an ad-free, listener-supported podcast. It does not cost me a lot of money to make and I don't ask for a lot in donations. Uh, In fact, I don't ask for anything at all. I'm not going to beg, but I'll just say that if you want to donate a dollar or two, I will allow you to do it, and the link for that is in the show notes. Uh, Other than that, you can spread the word about the show by telling a friend who listens to Fugazi. You can reach me at z at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, let, let me know about what your thoughts are about the next thing that I'm recording. And if you just want to keep listening, well, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Stacks. Until then, keep your eyes open.